Welcome to today's show. And remember to hit that subscribe button if you've not already done so. Uh, we have a legend on the show today. I don't say that often. Bill Leverty, guitarist for the band Firehouse. Uh, this band has sold over 7 million records worldwide. I think that's a lot. Uh, and they have had at least, I think, eight songs or so that have been on the radio, including uh, the monster hits, uh, Don't Treat Me Bad, Love of a Lifetime, When I Look Into Your Eyes, and a lot of good album tracks that I really like anyways. Good live band as well. I've seen them at least twice that I can remember, and they still sound great. The singer CJ, he can still hit all the high notes. And I really hope to see them live again soon. Uh, so Bill joins me today to talk about the history of Firehouse, his new solo record, Divided We Fall, plus some other fun surprises. Check it out. Welcome, Bill Leverty to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Chuck. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, thanks for coming on. This is a little bit of a dream come true for me. I was a big Firehouse fan when I was a kid, like, and obviously Warren and all, all that stuff. That's what that's the year I got into rock was like eighth grade. It was like 92, I, I want to say. It was just like on the cusp of you guys like really coming up, and it was amazing. Thanks, man. I, we can we can thank your parents for great parenting and raising such a great kid with great musical taste. <laughs> they were not a fan. I would put a lot of. I actually had a Firehouse poster. Um, that I think that one they're okay with, but some of the Metallica ones with the skulls and stuff. I remember my dad not being too thrilled about those, but I had a lot of the posters on my wall. So fun times. Oh, yeah. So you, had, this is interesting. I, I love doing these uh, episodes because I do a lot of research, so I find out a lot about the band and and yourself, of course. And um, you actually, before you got in, well, you got into guitar when you were real little, but then you kind of took a break and then you got into diving. So tell me, you were actually the Virginia State diving champion. That's sure amazing. Was. Yeah, I was, uh, I spent a lot of time at the pool and uh, the, the lady who, who was the coach there, just a world-class coach. She was a former Olympic uh, diver. Yeah. And she saw me just goofing around on the diving board and, and she said, you know, you should join the diving team. So I said, okay. So I joined, you had to be up there at seven in the morning, which kind of sucked, but I did it anyway. And she, she taught me how to dive. And we had a great, a great bunch of kids on the team. You know, there was probably 15 people on the team and some of the older guys, I say older, they were, you know, under 18, they were doing amazing stuff, you know, triples and uh, two and a half with double twists and stuff and these incredibly hard dives and so they were kind of uh my mentors in it and um so i i worked real hard with them and um you know lo and behold i won a i won a couple of meets yeah know, so and, uh, but if you're the, the yeah if you're the so you're the state champion individually or is that like the team was the state well, individually yeah so then did they ever try to get you to try to keep going with the olympics or what happened why'd you quit diving well, I, I you know I, I don't like to to brag too much about what i was doing you know when i was that young yeah and i don't like to that much anyway but uh, I, I was ranked in the top 10 in the nation and uh, they did want me to keep going but um you know i i had other plans you know and I, and I still went to the pool a lot but it wasn't didn't involve diving it was just you know hanging out girls and, and the girls and then it was uh yeah and playing guitar so yeah so and but before you got into guitar too you, you started doing ice hockey and then i heard that you're you were still doing ice hockey up until not too long ago, which seems crazy to me because I know Tom Brady's playing in a Super Bowl in a couple of weeks and he's older than me. I can't imagine playing football. I, I feel like hockey would be worse. How did you keep playing that and, and keep going with that? Doesn't that hurt your body? Oh, it was killing me. And that, but I still did it. And what was really tough is that our ice time 
for the, the, the men's league here in Richmond was you could go start your game as late as 1030. So you get home at one and I had to get up at 330 to fly out to go do a gig. So I wasn't getting enough sleep to recover. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it would take me a week to recover anyway from all the bruises and, and getting knocked around. And then um, it was time to play another game. And it was time after that to fly out to another gig. So, uh, yeah, I, I hung up my skates probably four years ago, something like that. That's maybe. a pretty long time to continue to play, though. You must have really loved ice hockey. And I was doing it a lot. And thankfully, I, I only injured my shoulder. Oh. And I had a surgery on that. So I did miss a, a gig or two. And that that kind of woke me up. But I still was, was stupid enough to stick around and, and keep playing after that healed. Yeah. Um, I just love that game, and, and there's there's nothing like it. When you get out there, uh, even when you're older, you forget that you're older. <laughs> uh, you forget that you're really tired because it's it's yeah. really cool in the rink. So it's not like you're having a hard time breathing. Although although you do when you're when you're skating hard, you come back to the bench and you go, "Wow, I had no idea I was this tired." Whereas if I go out in the summertime and run, I'm dead after mm-hmm. you know ten you, steps. Yeah. Whereas Right in the, on the rink, skating, um, trying to score a goal, man, it's it's amazing with the the extra adrenaline you can get. Yeah, you get caught push. up in the game because that's like me when I go running. All I think is I'm running. I hate this. I'm running. I hate this. But when I'm playing like a basketball or throwing a football around, it, it, you're you get caught up in the game and you forget that you're exercising. Yeah, I totally forget that I'm exercising. And when it's really cool in the rink, you're not. I'm sweating a lot, but you don't you don't feel as beaten up um, with the amount of exercise you're getting. So yeah. I was really sore after, you know, the next day. Um, and I was really bruised and, and I had, I got some minor injuries, but nothing that really, uh, was debilitating. Thankfully mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my hands didn't get crunched too badly. And that's good. And, um, you know, I'm still, I, you know, still going. That's so. good. Yeah. So guitar, you, 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 then you eventually pick up a guitar wrench age 15 and you learn Sweet Home Alabama. And then, you know, of course you have the typical influences, the Van Halen's and the Kiss and the Led Zeppelin and all that. But uh, Carlos Montoya, I saw him on the list of your influences. I had to Google that guy. He's like flamenco guitar. So how did you discover that one? That one's a little like not the typical guitar player. My parents had a couple of his albums oh. and uh, they, you know, I, I put them on the turntable and I, I would listen to him. That was before I started playing. Um, but, uh, yeah, what an amazing, uh, uh, inspiration to hear that sound of flamenco guitar. And, and I think that's where I first wanted to kind of explore the sound of Spanish music. It just sounds so cool. The scales that are used and, and everything. So I, I like that little flavor, that little spice. Yeah. That's cool. I, I appreciate that stuff a lot more. And like, I don't know, like Steve Stevens, Billy Idol's guitarist, like he incorporates that in some of his songs. Like, I, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. He's, he's a maestro. Yeah. I love Steve Stevens. Yeah, but is, awesome. is Jeff, so Jeff Beck is your favorite. Like what makes him the best? Like, and is Eddie Van Halen, would you say he's second and Randy Rhodes third or like, what? I mean, is it just kind of personal preference or. But Jeff Beck uh, just came, I, I discovered him right at the right time, right uh, after I'd been playing for maybe a year or two, maybe a year. And um, I had his Wired record and I, I was able to not play along with this stuff, but I was able to to play along with it poorly, I guess is, is probably the way I would characterize it. 
I was able to, and, and it was just such a big influence on me that I went and I got all his back catalog and then everything that came out since I just thought this guy can make a guitar sing like nobody else. He's just got his own voice on a guitar. That's really hard to do. And it's, it's really such a unique player. And I just really can, everything that he puts out, I really love. So I wouldn't say Eddie Van Halen a second. Eddie Van Halen could be tied for first. And so could Randy Rhodes. It, it's just that um, I think, and Steve Morse is another one. He's mm. probably my, my most overall you know, that's the guy who I go, wow, if I could play like anybody, it'd be Steve Morris because he can do anything and he does everything so well. But um, there's a lot of them. You know, Michael Schenker's another one that I just Absolutely, love from UFO, yeah. So when you listen yeah. to those guys, like I know for me as like an interviewer, I mean, I can listen to like a Howard Stern or like Conan O'Brien do an interview and I'm like, I listen to that and I go, what the hell am I? I can never keep up with these guys. These guys are like ridiculously good. Did you ever think that way with those guitar? Do you ever listen to Jeff Beck and go, well, I can't be Jeff Beck. What the hell am I doing? And just try to, then do you ever have those thoughts of giving up or? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I either <laughs> wanted to go and practice for hours or just quit. And thankfully I thought I'm going to practice forever, oh. but I, I never thought I could be anywhere near as good as any of those guys. I, I, I'll never be as good as them, but if I listen to them enough, I can get a little bit of their vibe through osmosis and hopefully it'll come out in my playing somehow without being a ripoff. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to. <laughs> no, for shoot. sure. I think you're one of the best guitar players. So you're, you, you're a guitar player in a band called white heat and uh, you get this uh, drummer, Michael Foster, and he shows up with this ugly green drum set, but he was a good drummer and he could sing and play drums at the same time. I'm always fascinated by that too. Did he ever sing lead on any songs when you guys were White Heat? No, I don't think he did. He, we might have played White Wedding, and he might have sang White Wedding a couple of times. Hmm. Um, so, speaking of Billy Idol, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a great song. So, so in the early days of the cover, cover when we were doing cover tunes and stuff, but the band he was in before he joined our band, he did sing a few songs. They had a lead singer, um, but he sang a couple of songs too, but he was a terrific drummer. I mean, when he showed up and, and set up that kit um, and he started playing, I just knew the guy, I could feel that he, he had the groove. A lot of other drummers, it just felt kind of stiff. Like they play in time and they could play mm. well, but he just had this, loose relaxed feel but still a lot of power and um and then we heard him singing it was that was it man and we were like dude that's you know bonus yeah nice really well right so, and, you know. that helps for sure so then you eventually you're able to uh finagle cj snare and uh, perry richardson from another band and then you guys make this demo i didn't know the demo you made was produced by dana strum from slaughter and it has Mark Slaughter singing background vocals and Stevie Rochelle from Tough on sing, singing background vocals oh, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we we had a few songs, uh, maybe four or five songs, maybe six. I don't know, on that demo that had uh, kind of gang vocal um, opportunities. And Dana called in, Dana and Mark called in all their friends, and uh, that's where we met Stevie and we met um, uh, Mark Ferrari came in and sang. Oh yeah on some i'm trying to think of who else was in on that session but that session we had ought to be a law you know and we needed 15 guys if we could make them sound like you know dana was a what a great producer 
I mean, he had us sing it several times and he layered them all together and made it sound like it was just an enormous amount of people. And I'm trying to think of some of the other cats because a lot of the other tough dudes were there. Okay. Todd was there and um, trying to think of some of the other guys that were there, but, but yeah, Mark helped us out a lot too with vocals and sang some of the, the really high stuff that, uh, and, but, but I mean, CJ, CJ can sing anything. I think Dana's. Yeah, he's uh, good. He was, hey, let's get another voice. And we had another guy named Jimmy Coons, who um, is a great singer. Um, one of CJ's friends from Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. There are two phenomenal singers that came out of uh, Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. CJ Snare and, and Jimmy Coons. And, and he, Jimmy came out to L.A. and sang uh, with us on that. So it didn't sound like CJ singing in all the parts. I think Dana's idea was just to get these guys who were really good, like Mark and 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 uh, Jimmy, to sing some of these parts along with CJ, mm. or um, just to make it sound not like I don't know, just so it wasn't uh, eight tracks of CJ or whatever. Right. Okay. <clears throat> just make it sound bigger for sure. So you gave the demo to somehow you got it to John Bon Jovi. I didn't know he was part of the band, and he said it was the best demo he had ever heard. Right. And he helped you guys get some some airplay. Well, he didn't say it was the best demo he'd ever heard. He said that on that slippery when wet tour, that was the best demo that he had heard at that time. That's still he's so, probably hearing a lot of demos at that time, though. I'm sure everybody was giving him a demo. I gave it to him, and I didn't think he was going to listen to it. And then, um, you know, we we went out and uh, we watched Cinderella. And then uh, after Cinderella was done, the lights came on, and out walked the security guy. And he found me in a, in a crowd of 20,000 people in the Richmond Coliseum, maybe 18,000. I don't know how many people it holds. Big arena. And um, he said, you know, John wants to meet with you when you guys play Hampton. Um, when he plays Hampton uh, tomorrow night, can you get the whole band together? I was like, yeah, we, we can get the band together for this. Mm-hmm. That's what John said. So it was it was really a, a real high point for us. Yeah. So then did he kind of help you get it onto local radio? Is that what happened or how did, what, what was his part no, in the, John, John sent uh, the demo to the guy that signed him. Okay. Was a guy named Dick Shulman. Yeah. At, po- at Polygram at the time. And Derek called us back a couple of days later and, and Derek said, I, I hear some good songs. I don't hear any killer songs. Can you write me some killer songs? And we said, well, we'll give it a try. And uh, we, we gave it a try and, and um, they they kind of lost interest. But in the meantime, mm. we had signed management with the John security guy, uh, his, his tour coordinator, oh. guy named Danny. Um, and Danny became our manager. Danny knew a guy in New York who had a label, and we um, we signed with them. And um, then with with that uh, demo, that uh, it wasn't really a demo. It was going to be a record. That one that, that Dana made. Um, we got that on the radio and a bunch of record companies heard about it. And then that's when finally Epic records came in and, and said, uh, yeah, we, we'd like to sign the band, but we want to re-record everything. So mm. that's kind of how that happened. And then you had to change the name from white heat to firehouse, which I always thought firehouse was named after the kiss song, but you guys said, no, it wasn't. It was because the drummer Michael was going to be a firefighter and he just thought that was a cool name or. Yeah, so well, we the name White Heat was. Um, we did the trademark search after we had signed our record deal, and the our attorney said, "Yeah, there's already a couple of bands that have have prior usage, and one band mm. that has um, actually applied for the trademark. So you you should change the name." 
So we went through everything and, mm. and none of the names sounded cool. But then Michael said, well, what about firehouse? And we said, well, that, that sounds pretty cool. We could live with that. Let's sleep on it. And of course we woke up and said, well, everybody's going to think it's you know named after a kiss song. But uh, no, Michael was going to be in the fire academy. He was slated to become a firefighter. Uh, his dad was a, a police officer oh. and uh, Michael wanted to be a firefighter and uh, was going to go through all that and, and join the band. <laughs> and so he thought, you know, hey, that, that's a cool name for a, for a band. And we, we thought yeah, so too. So I like we, it. Especially with all the trademark office and the trademark office showed that it was clear. So we, we, nice. we went for it. Yeah. And I love it. And then I love like the themes that you guys do with the albums with the fire. And like, of course the first album, the legendary, just, you know, self-titled firehouse. It's got the girl with the match. I mean, that's just like an amazing cover. And you got the two, you know, you have the two monster hits, Love of a Lifetime and Don't Treat Me Bad. Of course, everybody knows those. But I really liked uh, the song Shake and Tumble, which it was funny because it was in a Sony commercial. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember hearing that commercial. And every time I heard that commercial, I thought, what is that? This is before Shazam. I always wondered, what is that song? And finally, I got the Firehouse album and I listened to that song and I'm like, that's the song that I kept wondering. What song is that from the like, I, don't you think Sony should have put the the uh, the band titles at the bottom of the uh, commercial or something for you guys. I sure do. I think every radio uh, DJ, every time your song's on the radio, the DJ should say what, you know, who that song, you know, what band it was and what was the title of the song. But, mm. you know, funny you should mention shake and tumble. That was actually, it wasn't an official single, right? But that was the first song that the record company released to the public. Mm. It was released to metal radio and okay. metal radio at that time. Um, one of the biggest players in that space was uh, called um, Z-Rock. And Z-Rock had right. about 30 stations syndicated around the country. And that song was played and people called back and wanted to hear it again. And and it, it became a hit on that station. And it was actually 30 stations around the country, like I said. So that enabled us to have 30 gigs right away. So we, we rented the cheapest bus that we could find. And we hopped on it and we went out and we started playing those 30 places. And the record company saw that we were not a bunch of screwballs out there to, uh, to just do partying. We um, were pretty consistent every night when we played. And uh, they saw some sales in the record stores that followed us like a little trail. Hmm. And so they thought, okay, we got something here. Let's, let's, put out a single and they chose don't treat me bad. So, yeah, so. I love that song. So speaking of partying though, that you weren't, you know, you weren't partying on that tour, but there was some partying happening on, on the blood, sweat and beers tour with a uh, warrant and trickster. Right. And you guys are all still friends to this day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying that we didn't party back even before we got our record deal. It's just that we always knew, Hey, we got to work tomorrow. We got to sing tomorrow. We yeah. got a gig tomorrow. So we can't do but so much partying. Yeah. Uh, it was the days off, I think, that um, that we, we partied more or the, the days before the days off, which we didn't have many days off back then. We sure. filled up our calendar pretty, pretty full. Well, but, yeah, uh, that warrant tour was wonderful. And we we had great times with those guys, uh, Trickster and Warrant. And we are still real good friends to this day. Is there any story? I know you're like a family man now, but is there any stories you can tell at least PG-13 that um would be good for this podcast from that too. Cause I've heard so many stories from that tour. It just sounds like you guys had so much fun. Like it seems like a blast. Well, from day one, um, they were all, it was all, they were so nice. Um, the, the warrant guys were, were so helpful in making sure that we could sound good every night. 
And the trickster guys who had already been around the block a couple of times, I mean, they opened up for the Scorpions. They opened up for, uh, you might know who else they had opened up for. There Kiss? Was, there were some other, yeah. We had, with Kiss, yeah. yeah. And uh, so we in it, we were living in Charlotte before we got our record deal, and we had uh, seen uh, Trickster with the Scorpions, and we had seen Warrant on their um, Dirty, Rotten, Filthy Rich um, tour in, in a club there. And um, so we were thinking, man, you know, we're going to be able to tour with these guys and, you know, we're going to try to learn as much as we can from it. And they were so, both bands were so cool and, and helpful to us every night. Um, you know, as far as individual stories, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I had so many times where I'd, I'd um, you know, walk by Eric and he'd say, Hey man, you know, uh, what kind of guitar are you playing? And, um, and I'd tell him and, and, and then he'd show me his guitars. And so those are the things that I really remember. Joey, you know, you know, let me play his guitar every night after the gig, uh, after our gig, we'd hang around till after at the end of Warren's gig, they'd let us all come up there and play a song with them. And, um, and Joey had let me play one of his guitars, try this one out. You know, this is an Ibanez I just got. So it was just things like that. Just the camaraderie. And, yeah. and like I say, we're still friends to this day. We did last year. We probably, you know, I'll say 2019, we probably did 20 shows with Warren. And, right, um, you know, I miss the trickster guys. I ho- hopefully they'll get back out and, and get touring again. Uh, they're they're just great people. Yeah, what do you think's going on in that? Do you have an opinion on that camp? It's kind of a split camp right now. Do you think they'll get back I together? Know, but, um, I I love them all to death, and I hope they can work out. You know, whatever it is, and, and that they can get back out and play. But you know, it's it's the business is tough anyway. Yeah. So you know, would you guys all get together and do a thirtieth anniversary of the Blood, Sweat, and Beers tour? In a heartbeat. I nice. Would. Yeah, because I didn't get to see the first one. So I was like, I was just becoming a fan of that music. I think I missed the tour. So, um, but yeah, so this is interesting too. I know you've, you've talked about this in many interviews, but how you guys were the, the was American Music Awards best new artist and you beat out Nirvana and Alice in Chains. I always wondered about that, but you said it was because you thought it was because the ballots kind of went out earlier. And so those bands hadn't really blown up as much yet. Yeah, I think so. And I, I, I don't, I never really focused on who we beat. I just focused on that. We, we won an award, you know, it's super. And, uh, yeah. You won many awards that year. I think you won metal edge, best new band and some other places too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We did. Um, Slaughter had won it the year before and uh, they were presenting and, and we didn't think we were going to win that. And um, when they named our name, we, we all just rocketed out of our seats. And I think I was from the, distance between my seat to the stage was probably 80 feet. And I probably made it in three steps. I <laughs> hugged those guys. And, and it was, um, yeah, that was exciting. But, That's um, super exciting. So you didn't know you're going to win. Like was Nirvana there? Was Allison chains there? Or like those guys, none of those guys knew was there. I don't know if Nirvana, they might've had somebody there, like their okay. manager, somebody. I'm, so I don't know, but no, yeah. we didn't know. We didn't yeah. know. We, we, you know, we met Sammy Hager, um, backstage and he said uh the reason you're here is because you're probably gonna win and i was like wow i didn't think of that but you know sammy knows a lot so it was, yeah it was uh, for sure cool coming from me. Yeah. that's a good little tip there so then your second album hold your fire um i love this album i love the first single reach for the sky such a cool song and i remember seeing this video like i remember it, it like it was yesterday in my parents bedroom right before school started and i was like i don't want to go to school i want to watch this video and uh, but it was interesting that that was the first signal. I, I think you had said 
on the first album, you kind of wanted a more rockin' song, and they went with a poppier "Don't Treat Me Bad." Did you have to fight to get "Reach for Your Reach for the Sky" as the first single on that one? We we never had a fight because we never really had a say. The okay. record company um, is the boss when it comes to that kind of stuff. Oh. And we weren't we didn't have the muscle to really go in there and say, "Yeah, we demand this." They felt that it was a good song. Um, it was at a time where bands like us were just starting to fall out of favor. So they knew it was going to be very difficult. Uh, we were paying for the video anyway. We had to, they loaned us the money, but we got to pay it back out of our royalty rate. So it's, it's kind of a loan and it was an expensive video and uh, MTV played it once. So, you know, you saw it that day. So I'm was glad that the only did. time I saw, I must've been lucky then. Yeah. Cause I remember seeing it in the morning. I was Michael Foster introduced it. Yeah. He called him up and, and introduced it on whatever the show was um, after, after school or whatever that, that, that show they had. And, um, and that was about it. So we were kind of bummed about, I should say very bummed about that. Um, but it was, it was a tough time for bands like us. Having said that they put out the, the second single uh, when I look into your eyes and I don't want to get ahead of you, but yeah. that song went to number seven. Absolutely. That was a great song too. And then, yeah, you guys had the, you had a huge long tour with Tesla for nine months. And then I think you also toured with poison and damn Yankees, uh, the following yeah. year. So that, that, those are some big tour. I mean, those tours were obviously successful, right? I mean, that's still, still really big bands, big draw. Huge. Uh, you know, that Tesla tour was supposed to last for six weeks and it lasted for nine months because it was so successful. The, the promoters don't ask you to come back twice if they're not selling tickets. Right. Right. Tesla was, you know, I mean, they're a great band, great people treated us really well. And, um, and then we got off of that we got, we got on that poison tour and that was poison. Damn Yankees. Leonard Skinner was on a couple of those. Oh, nice. I didn't know that. That was a dream come true for me being that, you know, Skinner was one of my biggest influences. Absolutely. Enough's Enough was on a couple of those. uh, Oh yeah. So a couple of those shows, it was Enough's Enough, Firehouse, uh, damn Yankees, Poison, and Leonard Skinner. Oh, no, or, or, or rather, Leonard Skinner and Poison. Yeah, I think Jackal so, was on a couple too, right? Uh, we've done a lot of shows with Jackal. I'm not sure if they were on that tour yeah. or not. I, I don't, they may have been. Okay. I don't recall. Or maybe they did a different one with Damn Yankees. But yeah, so then that's, like I said, that was kind of like that cusp of that kind of music. I really love that kind of stuff. And then, so then you kind of started to see the writing on the wall with some of your peers how their albums weren't doing as well, but they, they, the record label didn't drop you. They still let you go record another album uh, with Ron Nevison producer. And somehow in the middle of the nineties, when this music was not cool or popular, or whatever, you guys had a single, I live my life for you. It was a radio hit. And you said it was just cause of luck, but I don't really believe in luck, especially when you didn't have any support from the record label. So do you think it was more just that that was a really good song? Well, I, I do. I'm very fond of that song, and it, it became a, a bigger hit outside of the United States mm-hmm. than it did inside the United States. And um, it, it may be our biggest song in Asia, which we went and toured over there yeah. quite a bit on that. So um, I, I don't know. Um, I do wish that the record company still would have believed in us in America at that, that time. But I know they had the deck stacked against them for bands like us. Sure. And our history, because our history was now suddenly hair band. 
and the program directors were playing anything but hairband. So it was tough that we, they had a tough slug to get firehouse played. And so, and, and I love everybody that worked for us, not that worked at that record label who worked our records. They were just the most wonderful people. And they, you know, they had to make these decisions on where they're going to spend their dollar. And um, so we didn't really get the, the love money out of uh, the label <laughs> for that third record yeah. uh, in America. But they said, Hey, go overseas. There, there's a market over there still for you. So we did. And um, fortunately we made the decision to do it and uh, it worked out pretty well. For That's us. awesome. Yeah. And then, so then the next album, this was interesting. Um, the good acoustics. So the, the record label wanted you to do a greatest hits album, but you, someone had told you that, if you do a greatest hits album, that's the kiss of death. So you convince them that, okay, what if we record our greatest hits acoustically? And that was, that acoustic CD went gold in six countries. And you, again, you weren't given any money, promote it in the U S. Um, but that is such a, that I love that. You love that, that album too. I really love that album. I like, I feel like it like connected with me emotionally. Like, were you guys emotionally like really feeling the music? It didn't feel like you're going through the motions. It feels like you were really into the music at that point. Oh man, totally. We, we rearranged those songs, uh, a lot of them to for acoustic versions, um, changed some, some keys in some of them to make it sound different. And, um, we really went in there and, and, and worked hard on that one. We didn't have much of a budget. Um, the, the A&R guy or an A&R guy, Michael said, um, I can't get you your normal budget because normally with a record deal, you start off here. Mm-hmm. If they, if they renew your option, you get a little bump in your budget. Third record, you get a little bump. Fourth record, you get a little bump. He said, no, we can't do that. We got to bring you way down here. See my hand disappear? <laughs> yeah. Down to the floor. Uh. Okay. So, so I said, well, I got a buddy of mine who owns a studio who's going to give me a really good deal in Sarasota, Florida. The Almond Brothers, who um, Michael worked with uh, the, the Almond Brothers on Epic, and uh, he knew about the studio. And he said, yeah, it's a reputable studio and um, uh, you can go in and record it. We're going to give you, I can't get you much money. And I said, well, we'll find out what you can do. I think the, the budget, I don't want to say the number, but it was really difficult to, uh, I couldn't have done it had it not been for pulling in favors and, and a friend helping me out. Okay. And uh, so we, we went in and we recorded that record in, in a short amount of time. We had enough money um, to pay a real guy to mix it. Mm-hmm. Um, not that the guy who was engineering it, Mark Severns is a fantastic engineer. He could have done it, but he wasn't a proven engineer at that point. So we got Eric Schilling to, 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 um, to mix it. Eric Schilling uh, was Gloria Stefan's live engineer and he worked at her studio down in Miami. So we drove the tapes from Sarasota across Florida to, to Miami and, um, and I sat in there with and watched him mix and, and I learned a lot from him. And, and that was cool. And then, yeah, like you say, it went gold in a lot of countries, wherever it was played and it was, it, it was um, promoted a little bit. It, it had gold sales in America. We went to the marketing um, girl who was the head of marketing at the time for our project and uh, asked her, how much is the record company going to give us to market it in the United States? And she said, I got some bad news they're not giving us even one penny to promote it here. <sighs> so, Oh, well, how, yeah. how's anybody going to buy it? What's the point? So right. we asked, we asked to be released from the label after that. Yeah. And, uh, and they said they would. 
Yeah, so I didn't understand that. Why didn't they just drop you if they're not going to put any money into it? Is there some sort of like, do they owe you money if they drop you? Or what is the, why, why did they hang on to you, but not? I think it's, um, you, you, you quit before you're fired kind of thing. Oh. So we asked if we could quit and they said, yeah, okay, probably we were going to drop you anyway. Uh, they didn't say it that way, but okay. it's like, okay, we'll let you out of your contract. Oh. So then we could go as free agents and get um, licensing deals for our next records in different countries. Okay. Oh, that's that smart. To our advantage, actually, to be free agents. Yeah, that's cool. So you guys really haven't had a lot of lineup changes, um, but around 2000, uh, Perry leaves the band and then he went on to play with country bands and now he's in Striper. Um, so you got this other bass player. I mean, this guy's a total pro, Bruce Weibel. Is that how I say it? Bruce Weibel. Weibel, yeah. sorry. This guy played with Stevie Ray Vaughan and Greg Allman and Carlos Santana. Uh, he, he played on your first solo record, but he was also like a, a Microsoft A-plus cer- certified engineer. And um, you said he was one of the most gracious, kind, and funny people you ever met and said and said that you had met him at a jam session. And afterwards, the first day you met him, you he had you rolling on the floor. What was he saying that you remember that was so funny? He just had so many jokes, and um, the guy was um, hysterical. He he was uh, uh, he was a genius, and and played with Greg Allman for ten years, and um, he had so many great great you know he you know great lines. I mean, I. I can't really quote it with, cause I'm not a comedian. Yeah. He is. He had that comedic genius as well, but musical genius. And he could, you know, like you said, he played on my first record and, and he um, just came in so well prepared and, and added so much to those songs. And, and one of these guys that played, he could play with a pick, he could play with his fingers, he could play um, and sing really well. And, 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 and then just the nicest, most fun guy to be around. So the perfect band member. You know, and unfortunately, he, he said, uh, you know, I, I got to leave. After he was in the band for maybe a year, he said, yeah, I got I got to go. So we said, you know, OK, well, you know, we'll try to find somebody else. And um, and so he 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 quit. Yeah, he, he said went to with uh, Dickie Betts after that, because he lived in Sarasota. Yeah. And the Allman Brothers have big history there. And so he went and played in Dickie Betts band. And so I think one of the lines that when you guys were first rehearsing, he said, uh, one of the first things he says to the band, it was like in Florida or something was really hot. And he said, it's hotter than a VCR in a crack house. Yes. <laughs> I've never heard that. Did he make yeah. that up? I'll tell you, uh, I, I never heard it before. I'll tell you another one. He said, he said that when he was in Greg's band, the joke was that um, it, it was on Johnny Carson. Yeah. Um, that Johnny Carson said that uh, in the, in the Greg Allman divorce that, um, Cher got the kids and the cars and the houses and, and Greg settled for the medicine cabinet. <laughs> so, so that, that was, you know, he just had so many things like that that were just, wow. Yeah. So but what, yeah, he, brilliant. I, I don't want to dig into old wounds, but I mean, I just, I just don't understand. It's always puzzling when people like that. I mean, cause his, he died and his death is ruled a suicide and that just, it just makes me so upset. I, I had a, I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Tyler Holinsky. He was a college football player and, he, and the same thing. He took his own life. His parents started this thing. Holinsky's hope. I, I had them on my show. And one of the things they talk about is just the stigma that, you know, that people don't talk about this kind of thing. Like, do you think that there was you now with your statement, you said that you never saw any red flags or anything. He was always a happy guy. You're telling these great things about him. Do you think almost that's a red flag that he never, express negative emotions like he never got sad or angry or you just never saw anything or no no i mean i 
I, I really don't know. I don't, I don't know what happened after he left the band. It was a year later after he left our band, but I never saw any signs of depression or anything like that. So, Hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but I, I, you know, such a tragedy. It just sounds like such a a brilliant guy. Sad to see things like that. Just the most fun guy to be around. It made everybody laugh and made everybody feel comfortable. And too many stories like that of people like that, taking their own life. I just wish there was something we could do if there's a way to prevent the next one, you know, if something we could look for, but I don't know. Sometimes it just, you don't know, I guess. So I guess if anyone's listening to this and they're feeling that way, definitely reach out to somebody. Yeah. It's a, it's a temporary feeling. It, it always gets better. So, you know, there's, it's, don't take the permanent, solu- permanent solution to a temporary problem. Absolutely. Well, going on. So your solo career, like I said, he played on your first record. You've been making solo records since 2003. Um, but this newest one is so awesome. Divided We Fall is the uh, title. And so you said that that's kind of like if if we can't come together, then, you know, it's kind of like divided we fall as a country. So you, you, now I, if I go to a concert, I'm seeing a ton of different people from uh, different backgrounds and ages. And the one thing we all have in common is we're all fans of music. Do you think that music can bring us all together? It sure it sure couldn't hurt. Um, you, you just have to think, you know, let your ears try to appreciate a little bit of everything because I do see a lot of people that often divide people because, you know, this kind of music isn't my kind of music or whatever, you know, it's, there's plenty of music out there for everybody. And, and, uh, but I I think it's, it's the, the, the message of the song is more about humanity than it is about a country or, Mm. and it can be about a couple. It can be about a family uh, a, a neighborhood, a community, city, state, town, country, the whole world. And it really is more of, um, we're better together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, absolutely. Try to find common ground. Um, it's, it's not that hard to find usually and try to build on that. So that, that's basically, that's great. And I love the first single. I'm, I'm kind of surprised the single is called you're a natural. I don't want to give away the lyric. Cause there's a cool, like little play words in there. Uh, so people should check it out and listen to it. Cause like, it's pretty cool. And then did the, but did the firehouse guys, did they pass on that one? Cause I feel like they hear that and they're going to go, wait a minute. Why didn't you put this in firehouse? I want this on our record. Well, no, I mean, actually we, we were just playing so many shows. We weren't really recording. And um, it, it was just a song that came to me. So I, I put it together, but um, I had released, um, the first song on this album over six years ago. And, um, I, I, I put it out there just as a single. And then I got on with other projects and doing other things, touring with firehouse, you know, being a father, a husband and doing all the things that go with that. And then producing other bands, mixing other songs, recording a solo here or there for other people. And then I had another idea for a song and I'd record that. So it was putting out one song at a time over a six year period or more. And then, uh, at the end going, well, I got 10, let's, let's press them up and put out a CD and then move on. So that's, that was kind of the way that that all happened. And that song, your natural is not about anyone in particular. You say it could just be about anybody. No, no, we, we've, uh, I'm sure you've met a lot of people that that song could pertain to. Oh yeah. <laughs> a lot of politicians and people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've seen them on TV. You've seen them in sports. You've seen them, yeah, you know, uh, you know, all over the place. You've seen them, you know, as just 
th those kinds of people. Um, so it's just no, nobody in particular. It's just a kind of a general person who is a natural. Right. Uh, and then I won't give away. The we won't give away the rest. If people need to listen to it, get, get those Spotify uh, play, uh, plays up. So or you said, yeah, go to my website and buy the CD. And there I'll we go. Oh, real. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's very cool. Now you said you won't play live. You won't schedule any concerts because if Firehouse gets a gig, then you'd have to cancel the concert. Could you not just go though and play like locally, just at like a local bar or something? Or I probably could, but I'd hire a band to help me out in doing that. And then if Firehouse got a gig, then those guys would have blocked out that weekend yeah. to, and all the rehearsal that goes into it to do that show. And then not only do I hurt those guys, I hurt the person who is selling the tickets. Sure. And then I, I hurt the people who bought the tickets. So it's just, it's just not worth it. I've been doing um, uh, acoustic uh, performance on stage at though. So I've got one coming up on February 7th will be my, my next one. Like online so, you mean, or yeah, it's yeah, online. Yeah. I, I break out the acoustic guitar and do these songs acoustically. Okay. So it's a different take on these. Songs, and you couldn't, so. you wouldn't want to like open for firehouse. Would that be too much work to, to be in two bands? I, I'd love to do it. I'm not sure I could sing lead. Uh, on these songs and then get up there and sing the harmonies for firehouse. Wow. Cause those are way higher. And uh, my, my voice is usually kind of uh, done after uh, okay. a firehouse gig. And I, I wouldn't want to have that suffer because I wanted to get up and do a, you know, do a, uh, yeah, <laughs> no. a lever to gig. That's cool. So, so besides the solo stuff uh, and firehouse, did you ever flirt with any other high profile gigs or big name bands or super groups or other offers. Like I know you did a song with uh, Ted Poley from danger, danger. Um, and then I, th I thought I heard you say something about you have one coming out, but you can't talk about it yet. Yeah. I've got a couple of those things where it's, you know, it's not appropriate for me to announce that that is their reveal. Sure. Sure. So I let these people reveal that, but I've, I've played on a couple of, uh, of other, uh, <clears throat> you know, albums of, uh, I mean, and I, I, I say nobody big, meaning, you know, nobody, you know, Led Zeppelin never asked me to play, <laughs> but there have been, that some, been cool. some bands, that are, there are notable bands that I've played on. And it's, um, it's, it's really um, a great honor to get to be able to play a solo or a song on somebody else's record. So I've done a few of those. So you just probably have to look up, look them up on, uh, on YouTube or, or, okay. You know, so I don't really publicize it too much other than when they're, uh, they release it. I'll mention it in on my Facebook page and, and okay. on Twitter and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't do it uh, too much. Okay, cool. So I don't know if you're a sandwich fan, but there's a place a few years ago that opened up, and they had the nerve to call themselves Firehouse Subs. So my question is, how much did you get in the lawsuit, and can I have some of that money because there's probably more than enough to go around? Well, I could say. That um, in hindsight, one of the mistakes that that we made as Firehouse was not trademarking the name for food as well. Damn because, it! Because uh, we just we just uh, trademarked it for music and entertainment. Okay. And uh, Firehouse subs came in, and that but they make a great sandwich. They do, yeah. They do have good sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's great guys. I mean, I'm, yeah, I don't. I've never met them, but uh, their whole story is really cool. So maybe one day they'll do a commercial and let firehouse be in the commercial. That's so, that'd be amazing. Like you know, rats in the Geico commercial and they're getting all these bands that, to be in these big commercials. That's kind of fun. I like seeing that stuff. Oh, yeah. 
I'd love to do it. That'd be cool. Um, you've done a lot of shows with Brett Michaels, and it, like we said, the open for Poison, and then you do a lot of with uh, his solo stuff. You guys open with. Do you have any a lot of interaction with him, or, or is he kind of separated from the other bands? Oh no, that, I mean everybody we, that we've played with uh, has been really cool. Brett is 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 so cool, and um, you know we 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 get to walk in his dressing room anytime we want. He's not at all like, uh, wow. you know, keep them away. You know? No, he's just like, come on. He's, he's just totally down earth. I mean, I'm, I'm really good friends with his, his guitarist, Pete Evick. Oh and, yeah. Uh, Pete. And his whole fan. I mean, Eric and, you know, and Mike, they're, they're just wonderful people. Um, you know, so no, Brett is totally cool. And, and is, we have the same booking agent. And so I hear from our booking agent that Brett loves doing shows with us. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we cool. want to be the kind of band that when we open up for, for somebody that we're easy to get along with and that we come off on time. That's the most important thing because you can't make the show run late mm-hmm. because the headliner gets squeezed at the end and his set list goes from being a full set and he's got to mm. cut it because they have curfews and, and things. Right. Like that. So rather than being, uh, no, we're doing our whole set. If, 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 you know, we've got to cut a song, we cut a song. We don't argue about it. We just do it. And we, it's a team effort. And and Brett is a great captain of the team when it's a Brett Michaels show. He's a great captain. Yeah. So besides Brett, you've done shows with uh, obviously Warrant and LA Guns a bunch and Lita Ford, Doc and Winger. I mean, all these guys, do you have a favorite that you really like to play with? Or are they all or memorable ones or memorable shows that really stood out? I mean, one, I mean, you mentioned Lita. I got to get up and jam with her a song with with her and her band, uh, Back to the Cave, which I always loved that oh, song. Oh, yeah. And, um, good one. And it was great. Like three guitars up there playing. And, and she's just a phenomenal guitar player, uh, uh, you know, and she's a, a really great singer and just such a nice person. And, and so same booking agent, ARM Entertainment. And we got to open up and she said, hey, do you want to play Back to the Cave? And I was like, oh, hell Yeah. So that was cool. And so, you know, I remember that, but I'm, I'm, I get to get up and, and play with Warrant um, or, or, or sing with them. We, we do cherry pie at the end of the night a lot of times That's and it's fun. fun. And I mean, those guys are great. And, and Winger, I've got, I got to jam Helter Skelter with them one time on, oh. on a cruise in Scandinavia. We were, we were di- doing gigs with them and who else did you mention? I mean, they were uh, LA yeah. guns and uh, uh, Dawkins. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. Do you, so you like doing those cruises? Yeah. And, 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 you know, Doc and another one where Don, you know, he, he comes in our dressing room and, and hangs out. I mean, he's just, he's a brother, yeah. you know, he's, he's a, he's an older brother. So he he's, gives advice a lot when, you know, and we all need advice from, and, and he, telling, hearing the stories from guys like that and what, you know, what they know and what they've learned, it's, it's helpful. And uh, Don's another one of those cats, man. He's just really a cool dude. Yeah. Do you like doing those cruises with the bands and stuff too? Those seem like really fun. Oh yeah. That's, that's like the best because um, it's a vacation with all the coolest people on the boat that you could imagine because they're all the real diehard fans uh, of this genre Mm -hmm. and you get to meet everybody on that boat. um, And um and all the bands get along really well. And the guy who puts it together is this guy named Larry Moran. And he's, he's a brilliant guy who took a huge risk in starting Monsters of Rock Cruise. And, um, 
a lot of people were in his ear saying, no, it'll never work, man. You got to rent out all these cabins and on this boat and you're going to, you know, not going to be able to sell that many cabins. And he sold it out the first year. And, um, and ever, ever since he sold the, that cruise out and, um, you know, he, he puts together all these bands and gets all their stuff on the boat. And then he gets all the fans on the boat and everybody's so well taken care of, mm. uh, that everybody goes, wow, it's been the greatest experience I've ever had. I, you know, far exceeds the expectations of the, the fans and the bands. And so they all want to come back and that's, mm. that's, that's the way that's, that's the way to do it. Is Absolutely. Yeah. Leave them wanting more for sure. Is there any band that you haven't been able to perform with that's on your bucket list? Sure. Sure. There, there's, there's tons of them. Um, you know, I mean, I, Van Halen would, and of oh. course we lost Eddie. So that, yeah. that probably, uh, but I always wanted to play with them. Uh, but I mean, I'll tell you, I, I've gotten to play with so many that I, I thought when I was younger, I'd never, could see in a million years us, you know, opening up for journey, you know, and we, yeah. we opened up for journey too, you know, that was, what about Jeff Beck? Did you ever get to meet him? Oh, I've met him. Yeah. I met him in, uh, in London and, uh, nicest guy and, and very engaging and, um, really cool. Um, that was on a night off when we were opening up for a band called status quo in, uh, in, uh, Europe and status quo over there. They're as big as the stones are over oh, there. And, uh, wow kind of unknown here, but, um, they, they had sold at that time in 1992, they had sold over 111 million records. Oh, wow. That's how big they are. Status quo is how they pronounce it over there. Interesting. We've just been so lucky to open up for so many really cool bands. And, um, I don't know, you know, sure. There's a lot of them that I would love to, to, to get on tour with, but everybody wants those tours, you know, all the bands, big tours. So you, you know, it's, what about like now you've kind of come full circle. Do you have younger bands that are reaching out to you that, you know, or maybe younger artists that are successful in their own right that are fans of firehouse. They're like, Hey, like you were really big inspiration on, on my guitar playing. And, uh, I get a few, you know, no, <laughs> but, um, we firehouse, we, most of the shows that we do when we headline, we fly out to those shows. So it's mm-hmm. not like a tour where we're on a bus going around doing, 40 dates around the country mm-hmm. as a headliner. Most of our shows are fly dates. So we fly out. So we can't really bring a band with us. So mm. it's, uh, it's usually a local or a regional act that'll open up for us. Okay. Gotcha. You had that song, uh, uh, don't walk away on the wrestler soundtrack. Are you, yeah. can you would finagle your way into the premiere of that uh, movie at all because it had Mickey Rourke, who's a huge movie star, but also the director. I don't know if you're familiar with that director, Darren Arfnowski, who he directed Black Swan and Requiem for a Dream. Really, some dark movies, but re- I would love to pick his brain. Yeah, I I I went and saw the movie, and I thought it was a great movie. And yeah. I thought that our song had really good placement uh, in the movie, and it was a really good feeling to. Uh, have our song in that movie, but uh, we had nothing to do with it, uh, to be honest with you, other yeah. than, uh, you know, recording the song. Um, uh, Sony uh, publishing got that song in that movie. Okay. And, uh, so that was really one of those lucky things. And hopefully we can get more. Yeah. Cause you get a cut of that. That's pretty, uh, from what I hear from a lot of bands now, that's kind of the way to make money other than touring and merchandise 
is getting your songs in TV and commercials and movies and things like that? Well, we, we, you know, Sony publishing who we have a deal with, um, got our, our song in that. And, um, yeah, yeah. so it, I, I think there was some uh, financial uh, compensation for it, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't retirement money, but it was, uh, <laughs> it, was it, it put gas in the Prius. Okay. <laughs> Dang, that should be a little bit more, I would think, but that's not bad. Anything. Take it. That's awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I do like to end each episode with a charity. And you said you work with the uh, Wounded Warrior Project a lot? Yeah, I love Wounded Warrior Project. So I, I, that's so cool that, that you do this. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Okay. So if people see people definitely need to go to Bill Leverty's website and uh, Firehouse website, but also if they can throw a few bucks to Wounded Warrior Project. I know I've had a few people mention that one. It's a great uh, charity for sure. Yeah, one of the things that um, is a great reward in being in a band and touring around the country is that we get to meet um, a lot of our veterans around the country. And um, we've met a lot of them that have been wounded in battle. And um, that 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 really hits me. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, and like kind of what we were talking about earlier with the, you know, the mental stuff. I mean, that's a big part of being in the army, too. I have uh, some relatives that were in the army and I mean, they're physically, they're fine, but I, I think, you know, they saw some stuff in the Middle East that, you know, it's kind of, it's stuck with them and it's, it's hard. So thankfully we have the VA, you know, to do counseling and stuff like that too. Cause that's a huge piece of, of what they go through as well. I think. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely so. right. Well, thank you so much for doing this bill. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I yeah. This is like a dream. Like I said, I'm a big fan. So it's very cool. Thank you. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. What a nice guy. Uh, he just kept saying how everyone was so nice to him uh, that he's worked with. And I just kept thinking how nice he was in this interview. Total class act, great guitar player and songwriter. Definitely check out his solo stuff. The record is called Divided We Fall. The single is Your Natural. Uh, follow Bill and Firehouse on social media to keep up with what they're doing. Hopefully some shows in your area soon. And while you're on social media... If you want to give me a follow or share an episode that I've done, I'd appreciate that. You can also write me an iTunes review, or if you want to donate to my Venmo to help keep the show running, that helps. Thank you all for your support and for listening. Have a great day. And until next time, remember, shoot for the moon.